Welcome to the Reform Journal Podcast, the Poetry Edition, where we engage with the world of contemporary poetry from a generously reformed perspective. Find us at reformjournal.com. This is the Poetry Edition of the Reform Journal Podcast. We come to you regularly to listen to a poet read a poem and talk about where the poem came from. I'm Rose Postma, and today our guest is Brett Newsom. Brent is an award-winning poet and has been widely published in a variety of journals. And today we're talking with Brent about his poem, Last Supper. Welcome, Brent. Thank you so much, and thank you, Rose, for having me. Yeah, so why don't you read us your poem, Last Supper? Last Supper. So often still, tonight his hands flit. Two birds building a nest, washing our feet, resting on shoulders and backs to welcome us to the party, alighting on a plate of olives, a piece of fish. He takes a whole loaf, soft yet firm like muscle, warm and fragrant still from its wood-fired baking. He raises it, breathes in deep the bready smell, then breaks the loaf calls it his body. We swap puzzled glances in the lamplight. Likewise, the wine, fragrant in its skin, he pours into a cup, then lifts and gives it a gentle swirl. Its crimson clings to the goblet's inner wall, slides down in viscous little legs. He noses a great sniff as if lodging the aroma and memory before embarking on a long journey. Raises the cup, calls it his blood. One of us, me, will betray him, he says, and murmurs snake around the room. Reclining, we eat the bread, sip the wine. Strange meal to sustain us through the night ahead, then through all our other days and nights. Thank you. One of the things I appreciate about this poem is it's accessible, particularly if you have some sort of um, Bible reference. But I'd love for you to talk more about the poem and where it came from and what your your thoughts about it. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Um, this poem is is interesting and, and in a way special to me because it originated out of an experience of corporate worship. I had the good fortune or have the good fortune of being part of a church that that appreciates poetry as much as scratches its head at it. And um, they they know that I'm a poet. They appreciate that about me. And so one year during Holy Week or in the lead up to Holy Week, uh, one of our, our worship leaders asked if I'd consider writing a poem to be incorporated into a service. And I as a poet, sometimes I appreciate being prompted, being asked for a poem that can be really challenging in some cases. And sometimes that's a fun challenge. But in this case, it was just really something I appreciated the opportunity to try. And uh, the first draft, the original version of the poem just grew out of that uh, and and read it with my church. And it sat there for quite a while. um, uh, And then eventually came back to the poem and revised it, began revising it, shared it with a friend and colleague who's also a poet and and, and whose opinion I respect very much. And he pointed out some things in it that I hadn't even thought about. And so um, really had a, a good time kind of reworking the poem through several drafts into its its form that's, that's being published now and reformed. 
Yeah, that's really helpful in thinking about your process to do it. I found as I was reading it, the turn for me where I really was caught and kind of had that moment of step back, like where it starts to land for me. And then I have to go back to the beginning and go, you know, that's, that's often how I approach it. Is that question towards the end, one of us, me, question mark. And you've used the we throughout, but I, you know, I'm going and I'm thinking, is this, who is this we? There's a lot of room for who that could be. And then when we land on, on that question, I'm like, oh, okay, I know exactly who's speaking. And then I am forced to then turn around and look at myself. At least that's how I encountered it. And so that turn and that question is what really made it land for me and brought me right in. And, you know, I had to do all sorts of self-examination as a result. Yeah, that, that line, I'd have to go back to early drafts to be sure, but I'm almost positive the question wasn't in that line early on and maybe not even any mention of the betrayal. It was in the later drafts when I actually went back to the biblical text, different gospel versions of the Last Supper and started going, now, what is the timeline of events? Do all of the things I'm like, think I'm remembering as being part of the Last Supper part of it? And there's variety. There's some variation there and some lack of clarity in what the biblical text sort of shows. So, so the poem is trying to kind of imagine what it might have been, what it might have been like but I found myself too easily assuming that Judas Iscariot is across the room, maybe, and we're all looking at him. But it dawned on me eventually that all of the disciples abandoned Jesus the night of, of his arrest. And so none of them really comes out looking very good. None of us, I, I might say. So I, I kind of had the same experience writing the poem as you did, eventually putting myself in that room and in that position and saying, no, we... I too, whether I'm envisioning myself as Judas or any of the other disciples in that space, betray him in some way. Yeah, that's that kind of those multiple levels that are working there for me. I just, that really got me and I really appreciated that because, yeah, like you said, it's so easy when I read that narrative to say, oh, Judas over there like it's really easy to put that distance and especially with the distance of time and, and what we know happens to do that and so to be able to think through what that would be like for any one of the disciples or put myself in there I thought was a really um yeah a helpful turn for me you use a ton of verbs in here lots of actions are happening is that intentional what are you going for with all those actions Yes. I think one of the things that I was very conscious of in the revision, particularly after getting my friend, my colleague and friend Rick Pierce is his name, his feedback on this poem was the embodiment of the Last Supper, right? And the, the ritual of communion or Eucharist can be so familiar that like equating bread with body and wine with blood can become just sort of an offhand or secondhand kind of reference. And so I began looking for more and more ways to emphasize the actual bodily presence of Jesus in the room and looking for bodily language and verbs that reference the body to incorporate. And, uh, and so some of those active verbs, the sniffing and uh, breaking and swirling and some of those kinds of things were, I think, a result of that search for 
what is the body doing in this, what would become a ritual memorializing the body and trying to bring that to life in some way. See, everyone should get to talk to the poets of whose work they read because it's such a good way to calibrate my reading. Like I, you know, I think, oh, I wasn't off. I was sensing something with those active verbs. So I think this is my advice to all people. They should all talk to poets on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if as we close here, if you could read the poem for us one more time with all this great extra sort of context that we now have. Yeah, I'll be I'll be very happy to reread it. And yeah, I'll, one thing I might mention as well that I added note before I jump into that final reading is in the process I was trying to envision who else is in the room, perhaps, or what kind of space this is. What else would have been in the room? The Last Supper probably presumably wasn't only just bread and wine, and I don't think that dawned on me at all until writing the poem too. There was probably other food <laughs> present. There were probably women present, even though they're not mentioned, could have been many more than the 12. So as I reread it, I would invite your listeners to imagine themselves at, at a party at the beginning of a, a festival week. And here it is again, Last Supper. So often still, tonight his hands flit, two birds building a nest, washing our feet, resting on shoulders and backs to welcome us to the party alighting on a plate of olives, a piece of fish. He takes a whole loaf, soft yet firm like muscle, warm and fragrant still from its wood-fired baking. He raises it, breathes in deep the bready smell, then breaks the loaf, calls it his body. We swap puzzled glances in the lamplight. Likewise, the wine, fragrant in its skin, he pours into a cup, then lifts and gives it a gentle swirl. Its crimson clings to the goblet's inner wall, slides down in viscous little legs. He noses a great sniff, as if lodging the aroma in memory before embarking on a long journey. Raises the cup, calls it his blood. One of us, me, will betray him, he says and murmurs snake around the room. Reclining, we eat the bread, sip the wine. Strange meal to sustain us through the night ahead, then through all our other days and nights. Thank you so much for that reading, Brent, and thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. You can read Last Supper and another poem by Brent Newsom at reformjournal.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the Reform Journal podcast, the poetry edition. Be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And until the next time, explore all the great poetry on the Reform Journal website.